Be seated, please. Thank you. We read from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 5. Paul reminds them and us, Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll invite our children to be dismissed for their own particular time of worship now. Let's bow together and pray. Living bread of heaven, please come and fill us. Please come and address those empty places in our lives that long for you and your fullness and nourishment. May words spoken, words read, words sung, in the silence and space of this particular time, invite your Holy Spirit to be among us and to transform us by the power of your love revealed in Jesus Christ, the bread of heaven. Amen. It is that time of year again when we begin another school year. I know that all of our uh, students are looking forward tremendously to this week. I see all those heads going up and down. It is a time of new beginnings, new classes, new books, new information, new knowledge. I want to encourage you to love God with your mind. We're instructed by Scripture to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our minds. So as you go to school, love God. We're also embarking on a new year here in church of classes. We mentioned at the beginning of the hour these new classes on Wednesday nights. We have a new highlights class. We have Bible study classes open always for people. We are offering information and knowledge in those classes. But what we peddle here at church is a little bit different than what is promoted at school. Here we're talking about trying to gain wisdom. Wisdom. Here's the the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing, for example, that tomatoes are fruits. You know that, right? Tomatoes are fruits. That's knowledge. Wisdom is knowing never put tomatoes in a fruit salad. (laughs) You see, it's discernment. It's about knowing how things relate. Walter Brueggemann says that wisdom is being attentive to the character and quality of life. It is being attentive to how things relate and to what makes life work well, how we 
keep our promises, how we face our challenges, how we heal those hurting places in the world. How can we become a community of wisdom? Paul instructed us, don't be unwise, but, but be wise. For these days require wisdom. How can we provide that which schools are never equipped to provide? How can we be a school of wisdom? We began the hour with a call to worship from Psalm 111, which has these curious words in them. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those words are echoed again in Proverbs. It's the very first proverb, and then as if kind of a final amen, it says it again in Proverbs chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're not very big on the fear of the Lord around here. I had a church member complain some years ago, Pastor, you don't scare us enough. He wanted me to put the fear of the Lord in him. He wanted church to be sort of like a horror movie. Be afraid. Be very afraid. And sometimes fear is a good motivator. In the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it was one of the things that evoked a a revival all across the land because people were motivated. Fear motivates us. But I've always struggled with that notion of fearing God. Maybe I spent too much time in the New Testament, too much time around the epistle of John that reminds us that there's no fear in love. For perfect love, he writes, casts out fear. Or maybe I've been confused about what fear even means. There's this curious verse in the book of Exodus where Moses is speaking to the children of Israel at Sinai just after the Ten Commandments are given. And he says to them, Don't be afraid, for God has come to test you and to put the fear of him on you so that you might not sin. Let's see, don't be afraid so that you can fear God. That that doesn't make sense. That's like taking a death row inmate to the doctor so you can make her healthy before you execute her. I mean, how, how do you be not afraid in order to be afraid? Maybe this passage from Exodus is a hint of what the fear of the Lord might look like for us. Don't be afraid, he said. Don't don't dread God. Don't treat God as a terrorist or as a crazy person who's going to hurt you. Don't be afraid of God's bigness and vastness, but rather have a fear that makes sense and that keeps you on the path, that keeps you from sin. Or as Paul would say, helps you avoid these evil times. Take God with utmost seriousness. I realize I might be 
preaching to the choir, so to speak. After all, you're here on Sunday morning, and I do appreciate that. Thanks for being here. I've been gone a few weeks. It's good to see you all. But the fact that you're here and I'm here doesn't mean necessarily that we take God with utmost seriousness. To take God with seriousness is to recognize that these lives that we live are not random. They're not void of some orienting center that there is indeed God. There's this sacredness to life, this holiness to life that we experience as God. Yes, of course, there's mystery and it's beyond our understanding, but there's also this one who frames our lives and in whom our lives are contained. It is God. Take God seriously. Deuteronomy 13 helps us understand this matter of fear. The context is that they're being instructed by the Lord to not go after other gods, gods who he's talking about more than just competing religious traditions or different names for God. What he's talking about here are lesser gods who are disorienting, who create conflict and confusion. You shall not go after these other gods, the Deuteronomist writes, but God alone you shall follow. God alone you shall fear. God alone will give the commandments that you shall keep. It is God's voice that you should obey. God alone you shall serve, and unto God you shall cleave. And I notice how fear, the fear of the Lord, is put alongside loving the Lord, serving the Lord, listening to the Lord, cleaving unto the Lord. So to fear God is to have our lives ordered and arranged and directed by God. It is to recognize that there is a holy way that is not necessarily our culture's way or our way, but it is the way, and it is the only way, the only way to wholeness and happiness individually and as a people. It's the only way that we can live in harmony to know deep down, not just as church answers, but deep in our souls, that God's vision for this world is the right one. God's alone is the right one. H.H. Farmer said, if you go against the grain of the universe, much like going against the grain of wood, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. If you go in ways contrary to this way, your life will be disoriented. It will be disrupted. You won't have the peace and the, the purpose that God designs, but to go with the grain, to live in harmony with God, is to know that peace and purpose, that place that we have within the human family, fear, The fear of the Lord, rightly understood, gives birth to this wisdom that goes with the grain and lives in harmony with the Holy One. So what is this 
grain of the universe? What is harmony with God? God gave through Moses the Ten Commandments. We we know them. We study them. We know that the first four are about our relationship with that Holy One. To keep that relationship secure and in check. To to remember the Sabbath. To have no other gods before God. to, To not have any graven images. To not take the Lord's name in vain. It is so key for us to keep the importance of God and this healthy fear of God at the center of who we are. It grounds us. It centers us. It anchors us. And frankly, that's what we do here each week. We gather in this place, and you'll notice the title every week is The Worship of God. To orient our lives, to name God, and to put that at the first of who we are at the, on the first day of the week. Here I will be unabashedly evangelistic. The world needs God. God cannot become passe or irrelevant. We can't allow the world to think that God is just a primitive idea of the past. People need a sacred orientation toward God. The first four commandments orient us toward God. But the final six commandments are about how we live in this world, how we live in community, how we are bound to care for and work with and love our neighbors, how we're to care for those who are weak. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is the humble realization that we were born into this vast ecosystem created by God and that we are all connected, human to human, human to earth. We're all interconnected. We didn't create the system. We don't get to define its balance, and we don't get to redesign it without consequences. To take God seriously... To fear God is to be shaped by God in how we live. You've heard it before. We leave this form of worship to begin again the worship that is our very lives. It's hard. I talked to a young man this week having problems with his roommate, the person he's going to share a dorm with this coming year. There was conflict in how they were doing, how they were getting ready, and what they were going to take. He said to me, you know, I understand that God's way is the right way. I'm beginning to get that, that to be God's person in relationships is who I'm supposed to be. I agree, and I'd like to follow. The problem is, though, that the world is not based on God. The world isn't based on God's love. If I am the person of God, I'll get run over, he said. And he's right. We live in a culture that says everyone for themselves. 
We live in a culture that says, what's in it for me? A culture that says, how can I get ahead? How can I keep what is mine and protect what I have? How can I define myself by having more, acquiring more, consuming more, finding my identity through the things that I have? I'm afraid to say that sometimes I think even Christian faith becomes part of this radical individualism that so pervades the country we live in. When we talk about having Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, we reduce it to something that I can acquire and have so that when I die, I'll go to heaven, rather than seeing this as a call to be part of something bigger, part of a community, part of a world where God is already active and we're being called into this divine, beautiful work of love, biblical faith, says that the fear of God is to commune with God and then to live in the world in a radically different way. Be careful how you live, said Paul. Live wisely, not as those who are unwise, making the most of your times, for these are evil days. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the kind of wisdom that knows when to turn the other cheek, the kind of wisdom that knows when to walk the second mile when prevailed upon, the kind that knows when to offer a cold cup of cold water in Jesus' name, the kind of wisdom that knows how to forgive, the kind of wisdom that knows even how to love our enemies. Love our enemies. We do this. We walk this way. Not in order to win. Not so that we can walk out of here feeling superior. That's old school. That's not what this is about. We do it in order to be part of God's work of restoring and redeeming and making right this world that God so loved that God sent the Son into the world to show us the way, the truth, the life. My friend Charlie is pastor of a 175-year-old Baptist church in the little town of Desdemona, Texas. If you had a map with a lot of detail on it, you might be able to find Desdemona. It has about, there are about 50 people who show up for church on Sunday. They're mostly ranchers and work hands. It's a good church in many ways. They've got quite a bit of money in the bank. Offerings are good. They have one deacon, one deacon. He's 85 years old, and his name is Pug. (laughs) Never has a man been more aptly named, because he is pugnacious. A number of years ago, he left the church mad, announced that he quit the church. He came back to the church a couple years ago and decided that he was the one and only deacon. And he is a one-man roadblock for anything that the church wants to do. They've got a lot of money in the bank. 
Charlie suggested, why don't we take this money and hire this really talented young woman to be our youth minister. There's all these kids in the community. We can get them together and she'd do a great job. No, said Pug. Well, let's take some of that money and let's send the kids to youth camp, to church camp this summer. No, sir, said Pug. Why don't we get some new deacons, suggested Charlie. <laughs> maybe, maybe some women. Maybe we could begin to allow people who've been divorced to be deacons. No, no. So three weeks ago, Pug met Charlie at the door. He said, Reverend, I can no longer support you as the pastor of this church. And he kind of bowed up. And he might be 85 years old, but he's tougher than a stump. And Charlie thought, I think I'm about to get whipped here on the church steps. So last Wednesday night, they had a meeting. Charlie said, I'm looking at the church bylaws, and it says we're supposed to have some trustees. I propose we elect some trustees. And they did. They elected some trustees. He said, now, there's a question about whether Pug here is legitimate as a deacon because he left and took his membership away and really never officially came back. So we need to vote on that. They talked about it for a while, and they voted, and they tied. It was 12 to 12. Charlie said, well, as the moderator of the meeting, I'm going to propose that we ask our new trustees to weigh in on this. Pug said, if we do that, then my family and I are leaving. And he started gathering his things up and headed for the door. And Charlie said, Pug, I wish you wouldn't do that. I hope that you'll stay and submit to the guidance and leadership of the larger church. And Pug waited a few moments and he sat back down and they finished the meeting. As soon as Charlie got home, the phone was ringing. You did a great job, Pastor, but then you blew it. You blew it. He was walking out the door. Why did you invite him to stay? Charlie said, because we're the church. We're the people of God. And Pug's part of this body. We're connected. We're not here to win. We're here to redeem. That takes a kind of wisdom that gets cultivated over time. You don't get that the moment you're baptized. And none of us have it alone. We have it together. I love the second part of that verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And all who practice it, practice it, practice it, have a good understanding Wednesday night, Carol had our youth make a presentation about their experience of going to this ministry called Touching Miami with Love. The kids were amazing. They really were. They uh, reported about their experience of going to this part of Miami called Overtown. It's a rough, rough neighborhood. The kids, the little bitty kids, are just uh, wild. Uh, The kids, our kids brought different lessons and programs for them to to work in and be part of. And the kids would 
grab the material and just start doing whatever they wanted to with it. And they cussed upside one side and down the other. Carol learned a bunch of new cuss words. Um, the youth learned how to put cuss words together in new formations. Um, they spent the week breaking up fights. It was hard. I love that some of the kids Wednesday night were able to admit, you know, I didn't like it. First, I didn't like it. I, I wanted to go home. I wanted to quit. And I'm thinking, if I'd have been there, I think I'd have spent Tuesday through Friday on the beach in Miami. But they were a community together. They practiced wisdom together. They, they talked about things, and they went back the next day, and they tried things a little differently, and they kept their hearts open to each other. They were there as a community, and they were there for these kids. And by the end of the week, it wasn't all roses and puppy dogs, but it was, it was the kingdom of God. There was love. These kids didn't know how to say love, but during art time, they could write the word love and hand a card to somebody. And the kingdom grew because people practiced wisdom. Where does that wisdom come from? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're trying to create a school of wisdom here. It's called Highland Baptist Church. It won't advance your career. It won't help you climb the career ladder. In fact, I'm going to tell you, it won't make your life any easier. Being a part of this church will not make your life any easier. But I think you'll find what our youth found, what many people have discovered, what Kim spoke of, a deep peace and purpose and being at home in your skin, being who God created you to be. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Thanks be to you, O God. Let's pray. May we, O God, so live in your presence with seriousness and the kind of sacred fear that you desire that we come out as men and women, boys and girls, who have hearts of wisdom and use our time on this earth wisely. In the name of Christ, wisdom made flesh, we pray. Amen.